welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Amit Patel, and Amit is the founder of a brand new digital health insurtech startup called Healthy. Previously, he was an entrepreneur responsible for incubating, testing and scaling innovative and compelling consumer propositions as director of new ventures at Booper. He's a startup advisor, he's a tech enthusiast, and he's got a keen interest in exponential technologies like blockchain, machine learning, AI, etc., and all about their application in healthcare and insurance. He's previously held a load of different senior roles at Booper, strategy and M&A director. Um, and prior to Booper, he was a strategy consultant. So at LEK, which is a top tier firm, advising Fortune 500 companies and private equity investors on growth strategy and M&A. Started life as a doctor, general surgery, but he tells us all about it in this episode to enjoy. So Amit, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate? Oh, really well. and super pleased to be on. Sunshiny. Oh, mate, it is, isn't it? The weather has suddenly got very warm and I can play tennis outside again, which I think I've mentioned every week for the past four weeks or two weeks. Um, so yeah, this is absolutely glorious for me, mate. Are you, uh, are you getting outside enjoying the weather? Yeah, we've got three, I've got three daughters. So um, oh, lovely. cooling and uh, sunshine has almost been a saviour, you know, to be able to... Oh, I bet. It's, it's been like a big permanent holiday for the past, uh, 60 <laughs> oh, odd lovely. days or whatnot. So yeah, no, it's been great. How old are they? Uh, five, six, and eight. Okay, um, so you're come, deep into the homeschooling situation. Yeah, coming on eighteen, so it's just schooling. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from? Um, um, Whereabouts are you based? I'm in London, in a place called South Woodford. Uh, oh yeah, lovely little place in the suburbs of northeast London. Yeah, towards Essex, right? That's it. Yeah, on the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, lovely. Cool, man. So yeah, obviously you and I know each other pretty well, but the way that I start these podcasts is I get you to tell your story. So I guess for the benefit of our listeners, mate, why don't you tell us all about you and uh, how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So um, I came up uh, from humble beginnings, I guess. Uh, we lived in Barking and Dagenham, which is probably one of the most racist parts of, of oh, wow. and we were probably the only Asian family in town. Um, uh, started off, uh, at a, at a state school, my parents thought I was, uh, not fulfilling my academic potential. So, uh, threw me into private school for two years at the age of nine, uh, wow. and put a gauntlet down to kind of say, look, unless you pull your socks up and get a scholarship at 11 plus, uh, we'll have to pull you back out again. Cause we've got, you know, your sister to support and give the, the same opportunities. So, um, interestingly, I work pretty hard. Um, and I did get a scholarship. Um, but to, as a, as a way of de-risking that, um, you know, I started to sell, uh, Tark and, uh, top trumps and various other things. So I, I started to basically be a school trader. Um, yeah. I started to turn over about 50 quid a day at the age of nine. Nice. Um, parallels with uh, a previous podcast of yours and a guest of yours, uh, Ash Patel. Um, Indeed, I think I did it a few years before him. <laughs> <laughs> you probably sold to him, mate. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> he learned from the best, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, we, I, I got a scholarship, went into school. I was pretty academic at school. Um, and when it came to picking careers, I like, always had this, um, uh, I guess, dilemma about uh, doing something in kind of finance the creative ind industries, because I was really quite passionate about design and technology. Um, mm. And and then something that was like um, core to me in terms of subject, which was science. Um, I loved science. I was really good at it. And, you know, in particular, I love biology, particularly learning about the way, you know, the structure and function of the body and the way it worked. And, you know, I had quite unconventional Asian parents, actually. They never pushed me down any particular route. So I had total freedom to do Lucky you, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what I could say there. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't, you know, becoming an accountant or a lawyer or anything in particular, which was great. Um, but I decided to, to study medicine, partly in large part due to my interest. But um, I thought it'd be, you know, really impactful career in terms of what you can do for people um, yeah. uh, in clinical practice when they're not well. And um, also a fairly honorable job, you know, kind of 
getting up, going to work, feeling like you're doing good in almost everything that you do um, was something that I kind of aspired to. So um, off I went, I guess. Um, I, I, I got an offer from Cambridge, interestingly, but didn't make my step grade. Um, so I ended up going to Bristol, which was, um, you know... The- That's not far behind, mate. Yeah, That's all right. It's not bad. <laughs> it's like where I met my wife um, um, in the first year of medical school and, and I had the best six years of my life um, there. So interestingly, I, you know, I intercalated um, in pathology and it was in that year that the, the kind of entrepreneurial twitch came back again. And I picked up the Sunday Times one weekend and there was a competition about um, run by the Times and KPMG um, about writing a business plan for a, for a charity and kind of meeting one of its objectives. So I thought I'd have a go at that. Um, and I wrote a business plan for a charity called Cancer and Leukemia in Childhood, um, uh, effectively a telemedicine solution for kids with cancer in the Southwest. No way. I never knew that about you. Yeah, connecting them to like tertiary centre in Bristol. And I won oh, that. Wow. So I was the Times KPMG Business Award winner of 2000. Oh, sure. Um, and, and that's where, I guess, entrepreneurship started again for me because uh, I... I then developed um, a solution called MediCard, which I won a bunch of other prizes for, um, which was a smart card-based EMR. Um, and, you know, naively then I didn't incorporate, but I built um, uh, the prototype actually with another company that spun out of Bristol Enterprise Center. Um, and I managed to get a cheeky exit away on that. Uh, oh, nice. But, you know, really interesting uh, time trying to sell it, a concept into the NHS when um, NP fit was, um, starting to happen and the kind of, okay. What year was this out of interest? Uh, question 2001. Okay. Wow. So, um, yeah. EMRs in 2001. Goodness me. So, so we were out of the game, mate. Yeah. Well, supposedly, uh, I, I wrapped, you know, wrapped up university and then, um, I pretty early on decided that I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, and so I did my, um, what we, what we call house jobs in the good old days in, in the Bristol mm-hmm. infirmary, um, uh, lectured at Oxford and, um, did basically my basic surgical training in, in, uh, Bristol and then went to Manchester for higher surgical training. And, you know, I was really fortunate, frankly, to work for some really great people. So I worked for Derek Alderson, Professor Alderson, who's the current president of, um, the Royal College of Surgeons. I worked for Ian Leslie, who was previous president of the British Association of Orthopaedics, and Prof John Morris at um, Oxford was, you know, a very enigmatic and well-known um, anatomy uh, lecturer, effectively. So, uh, really, really good time and a really privileged career, actually, in, in medicine. But I guess as I got into higher surgical training, a couple of things happened to me. Like one, the the kind of entrepreneurial itch started again. Um, I was getting impatient. I wanted to do more things outside of medicine or more entrepreneurial activity within. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you may remember this, but, you know, sort of working time directive came in so people worked half the number of hours that they used to. Yeah, I remember all this one. And, and all of this was starting, in my view, to trash the surgical training. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it's an experiential um, yeah. training uh, thing. And, you know, the more you operate, the better you get, you know, more experienced you are. Um, so that, that was what a negative for me. And also, um, uh, I was the first year at university where they doubled medical school intake. So um, you were seeing like a vast number of people coming through medical school. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of number of opportunities at the top of the pyramid were um, sort of not appropriately calibrated. That's interesting. Or workforce planning. And I saw, you know, some of my colleagues who were older than me who had to go off on fellowships for a year or two, um, uproot their family simply because a consultant post wasn't available. Yeah, just to get a consultant job, yeah. So that, that's the time when my mind started wandering around, you know, other career paths, opportunities, and whether I should go... Um, down the route of, you know, take another time out, a bit of time out and do an MBA 
Mm. farmer or and was that was that Amit was that because you you were kind of thinking I'm not convinced this is a safe career anymore is it because you were thinking was it was it push or pull right was it was it more that or was it more the kind of desire for you to uh, I don't know I guess diversify your skill set I mean what what was yeah I'm, I'm interested in that decision it's it's kind of a balance of both. So yeah. I'm a natural learner. Like to keep me interested, I've got to be learning. And yeah, so once you've yeah. done your um, basic surgical training, I've entered higher surgical training. Of course, you're always learning, but your learning starts to plateau off a bit. Like if you're independently oh, operating yeah. and doing laparotomies and stuff. So that was one thing. I think you know the circumstances around the NHS in terms of career development and what was to come, um, I, I kind of foresaw and I just didn't think that that was acceptable for someone who would eventually have invested, you know, um, six years of undergraduate and 10, 12, however many years of postgraduate yeah. training and not to have, you know, the choice of consultant job. Um, and I wanted to be an academic surgeon in a particular city. So, you know, that, that was one, one side of things. And then the other side of things was, you know, that Again, that innate need to learn and do things more entrepreneurial, um, which were pulling me in, in other other directions and, and and seeking out other opportunities. So, um, effectively, that's what I did. I I, I parallel tracked looking at you know getting into strategy consulting because I thought it'd be a good way to learn how big business operated. Yeah. Uh, um, but going to do an MBA and. Um, Effectively, uh, uh, you know, going into pharmaceutical industry, which I didn't see really as a way of commercialising my career, but um, you know, as a step towards that, I guess. Um, and and actually, I met uh, an old university buddy of mine who uh, his name's Gary Crotas. Um, he, he he was at a careers fair, and we started off medicine together, but he went off <laughs> to Cambridge to do his um, MD PhD. And um, he never actually became a doctor. Um, he he or worked as a doctor, I should say. He went straight into consulting. So he was with a firm called LEK Consulting, and and they were you know a top tier strategy consulting firm that I had applied to. And he kind of encouraged me to look at them more deeply because they were a really good fit for um, someone like me coming out of um, university. Um, and you know, actually having applied to McKinsey, BCG. Bain and, and LEK, I, I got offers from uh, many of them, but LEK was the one I ended up picking uh, mm. just because of the inside knowledge that I had about the firm. Sure. And, and also the amount of work they did in life sciences and healthcare um, from a strategy. It's a good fit, it's all the sounds of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I spent five years at LEK. Um, during that time, um, I, I did traditional growth strategy and MA work vendor side and um, kind of buy and sell side commercial due diligence. Um, and and I, I was a generalist, actually. Um, so I worked across FS and all the other segments, as well as life sciences and, and healthcare, and probably spent about 40 or 50% of my time in life sciences and healthcare, familiar territory and resting in everything else. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, as, as I was thinking about moving on from there, um, because I got the the next stitch of wanting to operate and not just provide recommendations. Yeah. Um, I uh, got an opportunity to go to work for the Duke of York, so I, I became his special advisor uh, when he... Oh, very cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, 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 that was a while back. Um, so I was there, you know, working with him uh, for, for 10 months, um, almost as a... Uh, back office strategist and front office ambassador, like commercial ambassador, yeah. which spent a lot of time traveling with him to kind of the, the Far East and Southeast Asia. Uh, wow. You know, supporting UKTI and FCO and yeah, yeah, yeah. strategy around helping them. Um, and then, uh, you know, came back to Boop, um, LEK rather, and, you know, thinking about leaving and decided, you know, I was so busy working hard at LEK that is almost impossible to figure out what to do and apply for jobs that I was just going to down tools and contract for a while. Um, and we just got married and, uh, I had my first daughter at the time, you know, I thought I'd better go for a job that had more sustainable, <laughs> um, hours and, um, you know, I could sort of get to family life or observe family life a bit better. Yeah. Um, 
and I applied to a number of contracting positions and that's how my CV got, got to Booper actually. Um, and it fell on um, the group marketing director's desk, a lady called Tiffany Hall. And, you know, randomly, Ellie Kay had been engaged by them, you know, in the past to do some work. And, and I was coming up off of um, paternity leave. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't really say this, but I guess the project was, or at least one strand of the project, a pretty critical one around digital health was going off piste. Um, so okay. Past the common rescue. So that's, that's how we sort of knew each other. We had some history. Um, and, you know, between her and Martin George, who was um, on, on the Boopa group executive team, um, they, they crafted a new role for me, which was basically group head of new business development, which was a growth role um, at group mm. um, globally. So that's how I entered uh, Boopa. Um, and I entered Boopa at a time when, um, the CEOs were changing. So Ray King was outgoing and uh, Stuart Fletcher was incoming. So, you know, I saw through um, a lot of change um, at, at Bupa from uh, the way it was organized, its strategy, and um, obviously the kind of culture that Stuart brought from us, you know, working at Diageo for around 20 plus years, which was um, uh, really amazing to see. Um, and you know, so the power, the power or locus of control of M&A, which is pretty much what I was doing, um, moved to the uh, market units as the reorg happened. Um, and so I went, went with that. And um, I moved um, from being in a global role, looking at global markets to the UK and uh, was strategy and M&A director for a UK business or Boopers UK business for about two and a half years um, across insurance, um, Booper care homes, clinics, dental, um, and a business that um, I actually spent a lot of time working on called uh, Booper Home Healthcare, which was a clinical home care business. Um, so I spent um, a fair amount of time effectively selling the strategy to uh, divest that business and then going to sit in with management to uh, turn that business around from uh, a loss-making business to uh, you know, four million loss to six million up in 24 months. Wow! Uh, grow of rev- growing revenue from 380 million to about 450, and we unwound 25 million pounds worth of working capital whilst splitting it into two and selling both parts. So it was a really hands-on type of journey, if you like, around business turnaround strategy and M&A. Um, and then, sort of coming back into the role proper. Um, uh, I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and again was thinking of leaving uh, Bupa, um, but got pulled back um, and almost seduced into uh, working in New Ventures. So New Ventures was a new unit which I headed. Um, the intent was uh, for it to be an entrepreneurial unit that would um, basically design and build new digital propositions and, and businesses. Um, the first of which um, existed in a guise called Booper on Demand, which was a private pay-as-you-go marketplace. Um, but uh, we, we picked that up with a bunch of other components in the business and built a digital platform for it, effectively, with a, with a, a different customer proposition and took that to market and scaled it to about £7 million of annualised revenue. Um, uh, and I got heavily involved also in um, uh, working on a relationship um, and a product that was born out of that relationship um, with, with a startup company called HealthTap um, in the oh, US. Yeah. So um, I, I led a CEO, C, CEO-sponsored initiative to basically design and launch a product on the HealthTap platform for Bupa. Um, insurance customers across UK um, and, and a couple of other international markets. So, yeah. so got heavily involved in customer experience, um, uh, product design, platform development, and then you know the launch uh, metrics of, of all of that from an operational, regulatory, and, and clinical perspective. So that was good fun. And I guess um, you know it, as as I was going through that experience again, my learning was starting to plateau. Um, yeah. And the inertia of corporate um, 
life in general. I mean, it's not something just Bupa has a problem with, but I think, you know, the ability to balance near-term investment and near-term challenges and run with innovation and building the future. Yeah. Many corporates struggle with that. Yeah. It's well put, actually, that. Yeah, and I got impatient with it, frankly. And also you have this cyclical entrepreneur itch to scratch anyway. So I think some of it's probably just that coming back around. Yeah, that, uh, that, that as well as just, I've seen many sides of healthcare and insurance now. Um, you know, yeah. I'm frontline patient delivery, understand how hospitals and healthcare systems work from a like, you know, working level to a like strategic commercial M&A level. Uh, yeah. and, and then, you know, cut my cloth in terms of, product and platform development in, in the new ventures role. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I guess I was just getting more au fait with, um, you know, some of the dimensions of how you build mm. types of businesses and, and prepared to take the risk. So that, that's effectively. It's, re- it's really interesting. And before, before we go on to the next bit of the story, I, th- I think, and I, yeah, I do believe that you've got quite an enviable career to many because you've had so much variety. And as you say, you've seen so much about the space, which I mean very broadly from so many different vantage points, which is actually something that I said the other week um, with some of the bits that I've been doing for Somex and just saying, you know, that I've, I've viewed my bit of the sector from all these different vantage points and some of those vantage points you and I share in terms of ground floor medicine and uh, well actually that's probably it and then you went and did strategy consulting went went to the corporate side and I went towards accelerators and startups but obviously we're, we're both sort of coming full circle to the to a similar-ish place now but no I, I do think you've got um yeah very but very enviable career to many and I think from from where you're sat because I don't think I've actually had anyone from a private health provider or um, possibly even an insurer on here yet. Um, I'm just curious, what what do you see the role of the boopers, and be that private health providers or insurers, because as I understand it, booper does both. What What do you think their role is in call it digital health, health tech, pushing forwards new innovation. What, I'm interested where you see their role because I know a lot of people say that and arguably the private sector should be pushing new innovation. It has the ability to buy things on a bit more common sense. You don't necessarily need the same amount of regulation and, and, and bureaucracy that you might need in, in, in an NHS place so that they could adopt more stuff. And I don't know, they can be trying these innovative models. I mean, is that is that where you see it? Do you have a different view of where, where the, the likes of Boopers sit in the ecosystem? I mean, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to say this, I think the private sector in the UK, you know, they, they should be the powerhouse of digital transformation and adoption of innovation in, in healthcare. Yeah. Um, I, I really do think they should. And, and because they've got many more of the levers to allow them to do that. One, they run quickly, you know, they they can attract shareholder investment, all that kind of stuff. Um, Two, uh, they've already got incumbent private customer bases that they can test and trial things on. Yeah. And and I just think that the kind of overall freedom of control or freedom of operation um, around them um, should allow them to do that. Plus, they're not constrained by things like NHS salary bans Yes. Attract talent, right? Um, you know, so I think they should be should be much more um in, in the space of innovation and really there should be reverse adoption in the NHS. Yes. I mean and this is something that I've thought and said for a, for a long time I, I i guess i've just never really spoken to you about it in in this much detail or indeed someone that's genuinely on the inside that might share that view it's good to know, it's good to know that you do kind of think on the same lines because yeah it does strike me that as you say they have the ingredients and yeah it's it's, it's interesting i'm not, not going to get you to to poke holes in a previous employer but obviously there are challenges too right as to why that can't happen again you know the size and the speed is difficult and all the rest of it that you have mentioned but um yeah, yeah and interesting. I, I liken that point to like ha- having a baby like in, you know the human race um kind of it evolves and survives because we're able to procreate and create something new mm. um and and almost um, and, and maybe this is a poor analogy, but you know, almost um, corporates need to be able to give birth 
to the picture. It's a new idea. That um, intuitively can pick up an iPhone and start to swipe screens. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. They, they, they look at the world in a different way. So if you ask a child, what, what, what would, should a dentist of the future look like? They're just wired differently. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a point around culture and capability to create new businesses of the future. I don't think you can simply just take a few people that are in leadership positions or seem good in a company like yeah. Cooper or any other corporate for that matter and park them on, on the right and kind of yeah. give them a whizzy office space and get them to. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, that is interesting, actually. Yeah. And then incentivization structures and models. And, and there's lots of, obviously, lots of facets to that. Is that kind of what you were doing at New Ventures? Because I've seen a lot of this with, with corporates, you know, trying to, I guess, venture build, you know, literally seed new ventures that they have equity in, but kind of putting them in the building next door. So they have got freedom to operate and and innovate and all the rest of it, but they're still kind of controlled and kind of not. I mean, is that, is that, is, is, is that what new ventures are doing or is that something different? Yeah, kind of. We, we had an aspiration to build towards that. Yeah. Okay. What, what, as you know, you can navel gaze for ages about yeah, yeah, yeah. strategic direction and type of business that you're going to build. And we, we chose to take um, existing components of capability and platforms sure. that already were available in Boopum, put them to a market opportunity that we felt was um, something that we should be able to capitalize on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes but what, sense. what became very apparent very quickly is when you have that sort of business intertwined with an insurance business that's regulated. Um, governed by platforms uh, and um, IT infrastructure that you can't change with job roles um, that need to fit into specific families so you can't hire them at a price point that, you know, for example, mm. performance marketing does not exist as a job role um, in, in the likes of Booper. So, you know, how do you Got work it. with those things? And you end up spending a lot more time doing corporate bureaucracy. Than Got it learning being ex- very fleet of foot and experimentative around how you build a business um yeah. focused on all the wrong things and you're right and and, and i think that's it i mean we've known over just the results over time that the, the best innovation is going to be external and it's going to have to be from new ways of thinking and you know meet the meeting of minds that are in completely different sectors and all the rest of it that we talk about on this podcast quite a lot um but yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, despite being you know part of that machine, I'm sure that you were thinking of ideas left, right, and centre, right? Which which you ended up actually going to do now. Yeah, I mean the the, the well, I think everyone knows any, anyone who's been in the health tech sector, healthcare sector, and insurance sector re- will realise and tell you time and time again that you know it's their sectors that lag behind in terms of customer experience, digital transformation, yeah. and kind of proper use of data to drive business um, yeah and you know that those opportunities was well, there's so many of those um what i think for me the thing that um stood out um was that you know health insurance been there for many many years i mean Booper's over 70 years old and the kind of product has evolved but not fundamentally changed whereas customers expectations, needs and wants, and the environment within which the NHS operates has changed much more. Sure. Um, And, you know, all of a sudden we've got products that may not be fit for purpose for today's customer. They're not serviced in the way that the customers want or or, or sort of become unaffordable, um, overly complicated because of... um, you know, uh, regulatory changes over periods of time, etc., and and it just feels like there's a massive simplification task to be done on um, you know health insurance today, and and the operating model and the value chain, frankly, because there are so many participants from brokers to TPAs to you know providers, etc. So ha- how do you create something that's much simpler and fit for purpose and and I guess that's that's where healthy comes in, in, in that we started healthy to really simplify health insurance and create the future of what we think health insurance needs to look like in a more scalable, 
data-driven way and much more customer-centric. I know everyone uses that term, but you know, really, what, what is it the customer wants, needs, and can understand? And can you give them that very simply in three or four clicks, um, which affects a sale, and then be able to operate that product as equally quickly, right? Commercially viably, of, of course. So, so that, that's where Healthy was born. That's awesome, man. And, and look, there's, there's something about health insurance that actually I just don't understand. And you, you quite articulated it quite well there that like, I just, I just don't really get it. I mean, I've never tried to understand it in any great detail, but like from, I mean, I'm talking from a consumer perspective now that like, I don't know, I've never, I've never understood why I'd need it. I'd, I've never gone to try and get it. I know Jess has my, my partner that I live with and, um, comes back with loads of quotes and they all say like weird stuff and then you've got to do this and do, do all this other stuff. And I've looked at your website, the healthy website, I actually looked at it before this call and it is just gloriously simple and straightforward. And that's not me saying it just because I know you, it, it is just a bit of a game changer that it, even just the way it's designed and looks right, just the UX UI is just, you know, in line with other stuff that I do on my phone and in line with everything else that I do in my life, which you never consider something like insurance to be. You always consider it to be sort of behind the curve. And as you quite rightly mentioned, you know, slow to innovate in the same way that healthcare has been. But now we've got or getting apps and all the rest of it that allow us to get that healthcare in a slightly better way. So it is it is good to know that 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 you're working on this. And so I guess my question is, what stage are you at with it? And and talk me through a customer journey so that I can understand the simplicity of it and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so we're, um, we're, we're pre-platform development, so we're in product design phase. Um, we have probably got about six to eight weeks of um, product design and test work to, to complete. Oh, wow, so this is hot um, off the press, this. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've obviously been working on it um, for a number of months, but um, we we have probably about that that sort of time time period to finish. Um, and you know, we're working with our lead um, insurers, underwriters, if you like, uh, to kind of finalise product construct pricing. Um, in fact, we just signed a piece of work with them uh, last week to um, effectively do the pricing uh, model for our particular product. Um, so, you know, we hope to like make, make the product very clear at the end of that six weeks and, and all the user flows associated with MVP um, with a view to then going to build thereafter. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've done a fair bit. We did really early proposition testing. Uh, we built a preliminary uh, pricing model and commercial model to make sure that, you know, this is a vi- potentially viable business based on the assumptions that we have. Yeah, I designed out about fifty wireframes of the product, um, <laughs> but because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of user flows out there, some within the industry and some outside, which are actually quite good um, and 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 can be leveraged. So you know that that was the basis. Those three elements were the basis upon which we went out to insurers and regulatory partners and managed to secure, you know, um, two lead insurers to support with underwriting capacity and a number of regulatory partner options effectively um, to get indirect authorization um, with the FCA. So, so that, that was where our journey started and that was, you know, part the latter half of last year. And then this year has been much more focused on um, designing out the product and and testing it, albeit with a few glitches along the way with COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. So forgive me here, Amit, but being as super simplistic as possible for, you know, me and other average consumers of this, what, what is it to me, the consumer and why would I go to healthy? So we offer very, very simple and flexible, um, insurance paired with a marketplace of private healthcare providers, products and services. So effectively, we complete the journey, you buy your insurance and you can get access to your care. Um, we, we don't um, kind of hide away directories or make it very obscure for you to access the care. We make it very transparent. Um, and to get the product, um, 
effectively quote and buy. So there's a number of things around around our product which are um, good. One, it, it, it's simple and fast to quote and buy. We, we rate off of two questions. So that enables um, a, a really fast quote and buy journey. And wow. my prototype, I can do it within 55 seconds, if not less, on wow. mobile. Um, the, the second thing is um, we've changed the way the product is configured. So, um, and not radically, but we've just thought about it differently. So right now, you know, um, the, light, the, the current insurers um, uh, kind of allow you to modify the price of the product in lots of different ways, like cancer cover, no cancer cover, excess, no excess, outpatient benefit limit, you know, small network of hospitals, big network of hospitals, etc. And, and we've stripped that right back to make it very simple in terms of the way um, you can modify the product effectively to match a price point if the product as presented is not um, uh, kind of something that you're able to pay for or is within your budget. Um, and, and then I think it's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said about our website. I mean, it, our intent is to be very open and transparent and black and white around and simple, frankly, around what you can get and what you can't get. So if you take a look at our current version of our T's and C's, and they're not the final, obviously, um, our T's and C's are six pages long relative to um, the, the other competitors, which range from 40, 44 to, I think, 68 pages long. Um, so our, our view is to try and you know, make things as simple as possible. Then I think, um, going back to the digital marketplace bit, I think, you know, customers want to be able to get the care that they need when they need it through the channel of their choice. Um, and we shouldn't be defensive around, you know, a claim if a customer needs it. That's what we're there for. Yeah. So, so we, you know, digital marketplace, which actually doesn't exist in the UK for private healthcare providers, products and services, is, is the other pillar of our proposition effectively to include things that are... Um, digitally native in terms of, um, you know, digital health, digital therapeutics, virtual care, all of those sorts of things, as well as some of the analog services that obviously you need to tap into when you need to get care. So, so that, that, that's that. Um, and, and we also want to be quite impactful in terms of um, supporting all providers. So as you, as you know, there's loads of providers in the, the third sector space that are very innovative around um, solutions that they provide into healthcare. Yeah. And they spend quite a lot of money trying to market them. Um, so can we create a platform that allows those, even those participants in the healthcare system to, to kind of um, flourish uh, within an ecosystem? And, and then finally, give back. So, um, you know, to, to the uninitiated in insurance, um, around seven, let's say 70 to 80% of customers don't claim. Wow. So for that customer, they pay a premium, they don't derive any value, typically, and then on renewal, um, the price goes up because they're a year older and they're a higher inherent risk. That is not fair. And I think what's happening and been happening in the market is that cohort of people have decided that they, they're a low risk and that they're rather self-insured i.e. they'll just go pay-as-you-go private healthcare when they need it. If the NHS is not able to sort them out within the constraints of what they think sorting out looks like, like whether it's fast enough to get their treatment or whatever. So, so our view, and we're working with our insurers around that, is to provide some form of give back, um, which, which um, you know, our current view is not necessarily charitable give back, but to give back as money off the products or as credit to use in the digital marketplace, um, which will be populated with some products which are not available through insurance, if you like, or health insurance. It, it, sound, it, it sounds really cool, man. And like, there's a few bits that, few bits that I really like about it. Just before you said the word fair, I wrote the word fair down here in that it seems that I, I guess what you're trying to do is say there's no need for it to be unfair. Everybody can win in a fair model. There's just no need for anybody to be greedy. And so if we set up the platform in a way 
so that it's so transparent that people know exactly what they're getting into. So transparent that when they need to make a claim, they can make a claim. And in fact, we are happy for them that they have made a claim and they are a group of people now that are feeling value from the insurance product that way that a good positive business can be built in the space. And I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you've, you've taken some personal risk here because I can imagine you were very well paid at Booper and you had a nice life and, you know, relatively nine to five and all the rest of it. And you've dipped back into the, the startup world to in insure tech and health tech and something in between to actually be the change that you want to see in the world and, and create this insurance product that actually delivers value to people and is a sustainable business. And I think that in itself is very commendable. And I guess my question is, practically speaking, I mean, I was going to say practically speaking, this stuff doesn't just happen. And there's obviously a lot of work that goes in, in, in behind it. And you've mentioned a lot of it and that, you know, you've had to speak to underwriters and, you, and, and you've had to, you know, get partners on board and all the rest of it. How did you fund it? Bootstrapped. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it because you're an entrepreneur, mate, by, by nature. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. it it's, oh. it's super difficult to work through these things uh, kind of paying for it yourself, but it does focus the mind. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we're not any different to anyone else. I guess we've got three children, all three of them at a private school mortgage, all the rest of it. And, um, you know, like, like you said, like, um, I may be a fool or I may be a really smart bloke. I don't know which yet, but I, but I think either way, you're never a fool. And you know, you know that as well, right? Because you, you do know that you've, you know, you've set your career up in a way that there are options for you to fall back on because of the variety that you've had in your career and all the rest of it. I think this is more something that like, yeah, roll the dice because actually I, I, I'm, Im- I, I imagine this is very well calculated, actually. And actually, I don't think it's particularly a huge risk for you because I think it probably has a very great chance of success. So I very much doubt you're a fool, sir. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, let's let's hope not. But yeah, we're fully, <laughs> we're fully bootstrapped right now. Um, and our, our intent, if we can do it, is to get to market um, before we raise. Nice. And isn't that a wonderful position to be in when you've got books that you can show potential investors that say, look, if you put your money in, you can see where you'll get your money out. And actually <laughs> you'll get a nice price for that, I imagine, when you've, you know, making a bit of revenue and profit. Now you're bringing the strategy and M&A exit person. <laughs> Indeed. And this is the thing, right? You've got this all in your background. You've seen literally this from the very bottom venture builder to the M&A exit, right? You've, yeah. you've seen business and strategy and growth of companies the whole way through. So really, mate, there's no excuse for this to fail. <laughs> so you, you, you've kind of teed yourself off here. No, no pressure. No, none at all, mate. None at all. <laughs> um, no, but look, man, I honestly, I, I think it's awesome. I, I, I really do believe in it because I actually, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a conversation. We were, um, we were at a blockchain for healthcare event. I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere in London and I spotted you there and it was a while ago now. I think one of us was about to leave and I remember having a chat to you about what you were up to and you said you were building something and you didn't say what it was. You wouldn't tell me any of the details, but I can remember just being excited by it and just thinking like, yeah, this guy knows his shit. Like he's going to, he's going to build something. All these little, you know, startups that I see every day and the apps that I get sent decks for like, no, this guy's going to build something. So, you know, since then I've been wanting to know what it is. And I guess this is the first time that we've actually spoken about it. So, um, yeah, understandably it's uh, it's a cool idea, man. And, and yeah, I completely see it working. What, what are the, I guess final question for me, what, what are the kind of milestones that you have with it or, or timelines, let's just say, rather than milestones that you might be aiming for? Yeah. So um, yeah. What are the timelines on it? We're, we're trying to complete the, the design test of MVP now within the next two months is the plan. Yeah. And then thereafter, um, uh, we, we've got the challenge of, you know, we've got a number of conversations open around te- lead technologist, co-founder, um, technology person to to join our team or um, to outsource or or a hybrid approach. 
Um, yeah. So, so all of that is sort of churning along. And I, I, you know, if all the stars align, then we'd have the solution to the, the development side sort of linked into the back end of MVP design and um, being completed. And then we go into build. And this is, you know, really for MVP, it's probably about a six-month build. Yeah. Um, so we, we wouldn't have the product ready and the platform ready for another eight months at, at, at the minimum. Yeah. Unless we make some shortcuts around technology, um, which are possible, um, but you know, obviously hamper us for the future because. Um, and this is the thing: you just don't need to do it, and it, and it goes against the kind of philosophy and ethos of the product itself, which is to build it with quality and just add genuine value with all that transparency and all the rest of it, right? So, yeah, it strikes me that you don't need to be taking shortcuts anyway, mate, because. Um, yeah, I think, I, th- I think, as I say, I think you know your stuff, and I think you're building it just fine. Well, I, hopefully, I think I take a lot of learnings from my dad, who kind of um, has always said, like, you know, if you if you go and buy a house, make sure the foundations are solid and it's a mm. plot that you can extend and do various things on, even though that's not the plan right now. Um, and and almost to, to be able to to have that as a shell or architecture for. A, technology platform is what what we're trying to seek and i think having spent a lot of time um in ventures with third parties and tech third party technologies and um technology partnerships and whatnot you know there, there is a you you do lose where you gain speed and maybe um it's cost advantageous to to hit market yeah. Beyond that, you lose agility and yeah. the ability to change things once you get user feedback and need to yeah. your business model and whatnot. And that, um, I think, is is could be the undoing of a product like this. Do you know what? I, I've... I've been doing this podcast a while now. What are we on? I think we're beyond episode 100 now by the time this comes out. And I think what I've noticed, even in the time since I've been doing this podcast, is sort of a maturation of of the space, you know, a maturing of people's opinions as to what's exciting. And and I think when I first started doing this, maybe it was my position in the space and how that's changed, I don't know. But I I noticed and felt and got swept along with a lot more excitement. And I think the market's now moved, and again, maybe it's my position in it, towards how is this actually going to work? Practically speaking, what are you, how are you actually going to get this adopted? What is it actually going to do? And, you know, speaking to people like Hugh Harvey, who you probably know, big on regulation and all the rest of it in AI, you know, yeah. his whole ethos is around build your company in the right way from day one. And actually that is the route to a decent amount of investment to building a company. And actually it means that you're not going to fall down for the regulators and all the rest of it. And, you know, the companies like Skin Analytics and Febris that are, you know, building their QMS and doing everything properly. And, and you know, as you quite rightly put, you know, building the foundations of their company in such a way that they can go and scale quickly afterwards once all that stuff is done. It seems to me that in health tech, that's more the conversation now because I think the space is maturing to not be so excited by the shiny, shiny stuff and actually far more excited with well, this can actually come in today and work. You can. This is CE marked. You can buy it. This is, you know, FCA approved. You can actually go through this, you know, all the rest of it. So, yeah, I think um, there's definitely been a shift for me. And I think you guys are, are among a group of companies that I think are doing the right things in the right way. And I think for me in the space where I sit now, that is far more exciting to me than anything else. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And And I think one other thing to add, which, you know, we, we lose in all the vanity, vanity metrics is, you know, we're building companies that are, sustain, pro, are sustainably profitable or well, that's yeah. what we should aspire to do. So, yeah. you know, at some point, um, you, you kind of got to get with, is this thing going to make the type of bottom line profit that you're expecting? And, and if it isn't, you know, what is it that you need to do to make it that way? Um, Otherwise, it's another technology company, um, great platform, but just doesn't, you know, people are not, either people are not paying or your business model is not right. So, so we, we want to make sure that we build something that's sustainable, right? We don't want to be a fly by night. And we also don't want to be one of those, um, you know, companies that absorbs a lot of investor capital. 
um, and it keeps absorbing it and keeps absorbing it, right? And and you can't see the end. And never flips into profitability. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Ex- exactly. It's just stressful to run a company like that. I think <laughs> I just <laughs> wouldn't want to be in that. I just wouldn't want to be in that position. Um, but anyway, I, you know, horses for courses in a way. But listen, dude, um, how can this audience help you? So obviously, we have we have everybody in health tech listen to this, from clinicians to entrepreneurs to people in corporates to to investors to um, yeah, all sorts of people listen to this podcast. So I guess for healthy and what you're building, is there anybody listening that you'd like to give a message to, or any asks for, or anything along those lines? Yeah, sure. So from a um, you know potential customer standpoint, we're looking at individuals and SMEs. So anyone who's looking for a product like this, please go onto our website, have a look um, and register your interest because we're building, trying to build a full order book of custom, um, obviously. And anyone who wants to like uh, get involved in, in testing the product and, and kind of give us some feedback, just, just send me a note or... or um, uh, look, look me up on on LinkedIn. I'm at um, Amit Patel nine one one LinkedIn handle. So um, that would be one. Two clinicians that operate in the private healthcare market and digital healthcare companies that want to join a marketplace. Um, please do get in touch. Again, you can register your interest on our website or or get in touch directly because we're we're forward building the marketplace and we've already got. Um, profiles of about 30 or thousand um, uh, clinicians and, and healthcare professionals in the UK, which we'll be reaching mm-hmm. out to. But, you know, please do get in touch because that, that will also help us. And then finally, from an investment perspective, we're, we're not ready yet, but, um, you know, investors that are, are, are interested in this space um, and get what we're doing, um, I'd love to talk to you just to start to build the relationship as we get towards market to, to, to kind of um, uh, keep keep the journey going or keep you on our journey so and on our radar, effectively. Awesome, man. Um, and for everybody listening, I will put all of Amit's contact details in the description of the episode. So you can head there now to click on those and get in touch. So... Amit, dude, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I've loved hearing about what you're up to, finally, that I get to know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I'd love to keep in touch. And yeah, let's uh, once once we once we can see each other in person, let's definitely catch up over a beer. And um, yeah, we can we can swap some more war stories of building startups. <laughs> uh, absolutely, it's been an ultimate pleasure. And and yeah, two beers at least. Yeah, I think so, mate. I think so. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Cheers, man. We'll speak soon. Cheers. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.